News Network. If today were a science fiction movie, you'd be shaking your head at the news. Today, Huxley reads like a prophecy. Orwell saying, I told you so's from the grave. And the ghost of Ayn Rand weeps in the dark. None of it makes any sense. Well, the people have had it. Now, before you reach for revolution, take a deep breath and put in a few moments identifying fact from science fiction. And for that clarity, you need the truth. You need TNN. The Truth News Network. And Dan Newman. Let me jump. Right on it. Right now, as we are speaking right now at this very minute in Delaware, Hunter Biden is standing in front of a judge, that judge that's going to hear either to accept or reject Hunter's plea deal that he worked out with the uh, very, very corrupt Department of Justice, a felony drug, excuse me, a felony gun charge, and also multiple counts of IRS fraud. <laughs> We're watching it closely. We have a whole lot of other things to get into this morning. It's um, hump day. We're halfway to the weekend. Everybody's planning the weekend already. I know we don't have many, many weekends left in our summer. We got to get to the beach. We got to get in the sun. Here are the Doobie Brothers to get you going today.
judge presiding over Hunter Biden's criminal case is threatening his legal team with sanctions. One of Hunter's lawyers allegedly lied to the clerk's office about who she was, pretending to be a Republican lawyer to remove IRS whistleblower testimony from the record. She calls, makes believe she's on the Republican side, saying we decided we want this removed from the record. Hunter's legal team is denying these accusations. They write the matter appears to be, quote, an unfortunate and unintentional miscommunication between a staff member at our firm and employees of the court. We're just hours away from Hunter Biden appearing in a Delaware courtroom this morning where he is expected to plead guilty to federal tax and gun charges. The allegations expected to come up in today's hearing and his plea deal could now be in jeopardy because of this uh, upset uh, with the lawyers uh, making believe there's someone they're not. Joining me right now is former NYPD inspector, the uh, OpsDesk.org founder and lawyer, Paul Morrow. Paul, great to see you. Thanks very much for being here. You helped break this story yesterday. Tell us what happened. You know, it was just happenstance. So obviously, uh, Hunter Biden's due today, 10 a.m. with his team to finalize this plea deal. We haven't seen the contours of this deal. Now, why does that matter? Because we don't know what's in it. And that matters because if it is global enough, it doesn't matter what we learn about Hunter in the future. The Republicans could have the House. They could have the Senate. They could have the White House. He'll be double jeopardied out from whatever they put into this deal. So everybody wants to see what's in it, including myself. So I'm watching the docket last night. I'm refreshing, refreshing. This is yesterday afternoon. Instead of seeing the plea deal, which we should have seen by now, I see this other drama starting to develop right on the docket. And what essentially emerges is, Maria, as you said, it begins to become apparent that the uh, lawyers for the House Ways and Means and Mr. Kelly has filed evidence that he could not get Merrick Garland or David Weiss, the prosecutors on this case, to look at. They have this mountain of stuff that they've uncovered in House Ways and Means. I've never seen a prosecutorial team less interested in the evidence that can help their case. If these guys have been going after Alex Murda, he'd be running around bumping off his family members still. Wow. So it's amazing that they're just completely disinterested in this mountain of whistleblower stuff, emails, uh, Who's money. Who's disinterested? 
David Weiss, the prosecutor down in Delaware, he just doesn't want to see it. So what happens? At the last minute, because they can't get DOJ's attention, they take this thing, they file it with the court, and essentially what they say, they call it an amicus brief, essentially what they're saying to the judges, Your Honor, you got to look at this. It needs to be considered in this case. Hunter's, Hunter's lawyers obviously light up. They don't want it. They start to oppose this. And apparently, one of their attorneys called the clerk, pretended to be, this is the allegation, on Mr. Kittley's team, the House Ways and Means lawyer, and said, take it down. That's unbelievable. Mm. What, what, what about this plea deal and the fact that I don't understand how the IRS could prosecute not paying your taxes on income, but not investigate where the income is coming from. And we, we've got the whistleblower testimony. We've got these bank records from the House Oversight Committee, yep. which clearly indicate 20 shell companies, money from foreigners going to these shell companies, eventually distributed to the Biden family members. How do you ignore that? Uh, it's incomprehensible. And when you consider that some of the benefits, and, and this is the real rub, as we all know, Thanks to the whistleblower investigation, if this is followed through to its logical end, we all know where it's going to terminate. That's how high the stakes are because it's all going to lead to the White House. And so that's why, despite the fact that it looks so fugazi, to use the term, nobody wants to know because the stakes are just too high. And consider something else which wow. we never actually remember. He's up on a gun charge as well. That's the felony. Now, under the plea deal, that's just going to go away, right? How convenient. So the next time we have a shooting or we talk about urban crime and the White House comes out and starts telling us guns, guns, guns. Remember the fact that Hunter Biden is a convicted gun perp. Yeah. And the statute he, he will serve no time. Serve no and time. Typically it's five years. And the statute is precisely designed to protect against what he did. We don't want heavy narcotics users to use guns because we can't trust them. Unbelievable. With it. He's a heavy narcotics and, user. And, 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 the gun ends up in a convenience store garbage can. And don't forget what else we should focus on when Joe Biden starts coming out and telling us to pay your fair share. Right. It's, Go ahead, Todd. it's a complete mess, but I want to focus on two things. One, this judge has a lot of decisions to make today. This is not necessarily a rubber stamp for all the points that you articulated at the outset. Second, as a lawyer, let me be brutally honest and 100% clear about this. If the actions, the shenanigans as alleged are true, this is not normal. This is not the back and forth of litigation. This is illegal and unethical and is something that lawyers do not do. Lawyers do shady things. Lawyers play on the margins. This is so beyond the pale. This is something that I, I, we interviewed a lawyer on my show earlier, had never heard of anything like this. This is not a thing in the law. If proven true, we're talking disbarment. We're talking disbarment. I, I had to yeah. keep reading it because I, I couldn't believe what I was reading. And so, I, think, I think the American people are watching. I mean, we are in an election year. Half of Americans, Ipsos has reported it, everyone, every poll you see say that there is favorable treatment. And I think finally people are seeing through the lines of partisanship beyond really following the rule of law. So this is going to impact also what's coming in 2024. Mm -hmm. And it will all build up to, it's going to be important to see how the House GOP responds to this. Are they spending too much or too little in this issue so that the American people People get the full benefit of seeing through the, you know, between the lines of what's happening. Well, really. we'll see if actually sanctions are delivered here. I mean, look, uh, and, right, and if this, whoever it was on their team is held accountable. We right Probably now, not. as the people, 
we don't have a friend in the room. It, the stakes are that high. It comes down to this judge. I mean, yeah. the prosecutors don't seem to be interested in our equities here. Remember, plea yeah. deal's a deal. We're supposed to get something out of it. Wow. The people of America have been forgotten in this thing. Obviously, we're not getting anything from Hunter's side. The integrity of the criminal justice system from where I sit resides today at 10 a.m. with this judge. Tatters. It's in tatters. This two-tier system of justice is really... Well, this whole thing started 12 minutes ago in Delaware at the federal courthouse. And as you heard there, shenanigans on the part of the Biden defense team. They tried to slip one in on the judge. And this means they are scared. They are really afraid of what's going to come out of this hearing. So what do you think? I'll just give you my two cents. And by the way, we're going to keep watching throughout the show this morning. And as soon as we get results of that, we'll come back and uh, we may even be able to get somebody online to, live to give us the details. But the whole thing is somebody on the legal team called the judge's clerk yesterday and said, I'm part of the prosecution. We want the evidence of the whistleblower's testimony. We want it taken out of the record. Just imagine if that had happened, if they had taken it out of the record, that could not be used against Hunter. And an unbelievable amount of information that damns Hunter Biden for a lot of reasons in a lot of ways, those are critical things to this entire saga of the Biden family syndicate. Every day or so, we hear about new people in the legal system that are part of this Hunter Biden debacle and this soon-to-be Joe Biden legal debacle that somehow strangely have amazing ties personally and professionally to either the president, Hunter, or everybody that's got the name Biden. Like this one, a former deputy counsel to then-Vice President Joe Biden, Alexander Mackler. Mackler served as an assistant U.S. attorney of Delaware alongside assistant U.S. attorney Leslie Wolf. You've heard that name on this show, Leslie Wolf, who worked on the criminal probe into the Hunter Biden and allegedly prevented investigators from asking about the big guy. That's U.S. attorney Leslie Wolf. Now, what about Mackler? Mackler's history with Joe Biden includes being campaign manager for Bo. The elder Biden's son, Bo, died of brain cancer, and he was successful in a 2010 run for the Delaware Attorney General, was Bo. Joe then appointed Mackler as deputy counsel to the vice president from September 2014 to August 2016. Mackler then moved on to serve as an assistant U.S. attorney of Delaware alongside Wolf from 2016 to 2019. And during those three years, Mackler and Hunter remained very close, communicated very often. That's according to Hunter's laptop from hell. In 2018, Mackler sent Hunter an email to catch up. Here's what it says. I just finished a hellacious couple months in court. Now that I have a chance to breathe, was wondering how life is on your end. Last year, you told me you were out in L.A. Give me a call sometime. We can catch up. Love, your brother. In October of 2016, 
Mackler told Hunter Biden he was thinking of him. Haven't heard from you in a while, and I'm thinking of you. Anytime you're in D.C. and want to say hi, let me know. Love you. Mackler's relationship with Hunter, it's an important relationship. Why? Because Mackler served with Wolf at the Delaware Department of Justice during the probe into Hunter. They also worked a drug and firearm case together. But at this time, there is no direct link that Mackler interfered in any way in the Hunter Biden probe. But IRS agent whistleblower is alleged that Wolf refused to allow investigators, the IRS investigators, to ask about Joe Biden being the big guy. I wonder why they would do that. Wolf, why would she do that? They also claim that Wolf cautioned the investigation team from searching Joe Biden's guest house in Delaware where it was purportedly proven there was evidence against Hunter. And why would Wolf not want them to go there? Because of the way it would look, the optics of it. They also contend the Foreign Agents Registration Act, FARA, violations were part of the Hunter Biden criminal probe warranting a special counsel. But that Attorney General Merrick Garland refused to name one preventing a degree of separation between Joe and his Department of Justice. You can't make this stuff up. It happens daily. Something new is exposed. We're looking at probably, I used to think the Clinton family were the most entrenched syndicate-style family in uh, U.S. presidential history. But I'm beginning to think it's Joe Biden and the Biden family syndicate. What about those amazing original paintings that Hunter Biden did? You know, he sold them through that art gallery out in Los Angeles. Well, there's news coming out about that today. Hunter knows the identities of at least two of his art buyers, one of whom is reportedly a large Democrat donor named Elizabeth Hirsch Naftali, who President Biden placed after purchasing those Hunter special paintings, placed Elizabeth as the Commission for the Preservation of Americans' Heritage Abroad, named her to that commission. The White House previously claimed Hunter would not know who the identities of the anonymous art buyers when questioned about conflicts of interest and some uh, perceived possible ethics concerns, (laughs) you think? Naftali, as L.A.'s real estate investor, is influential in California Democrat circles. In 23, she donated a little over 13 grand to the Biden campaign, along with 30,000 to the Democrat National Campaign Committee this year. That's according to Business Insider, which reported that Naftali is one of at least three buyers of Hunter Biden's art. In July of 2022, eight months after Hunter's first art opening, Joe Biden announced Hirsch Naftali's appointment to the Commission for the Preservation of America's Heritage Abroad. It's unclear whether Hirsch's purchase of Hunter Biden's artwork occurred before or after that. One administration official told Insider that Naftali's appointment had been recommended Biden by former House Speaker Pelosi. They said there was no connection between her art purchases and her appointment. They would say that. They said that 
Hirsch Naftali was deeply involved with Jewish causes in L.A. and Israel, valuable background for a commission that works to preserve many of the historic Jewish sites across Europe. They noted her service on a policy board at the Rand Corporation, which is a very prominent think tank in D.C. Membership on the commission, it's an unpaid position. It's often filled by campaign donors or family members and even political allies, the same crowd that often winds up with U.S. ambassadorial appointments. Naftali's fundraising activities, they mark her as the kind of well-connected donor who often wins these kinds of appointments. And of course, that is regardless of any relationship they might have with the president's family. You think? I guarantee you she got the gig because of her relationship with the Biden family. But they do not address the possibility that Hunter might have voiced his support to daddy, the big guy, for that appointment. No, that's not all. Hunter also sold art to his number one lawyer, Kevin Morris, who also paid Hunter's unpaid IRS bill of about $2 million. You remember that? Now, let me, let me just throw this out there. When I heard about this and that this Morris guy actually paid Hunter's IRS bill, $2 million, I don't know the legal ins and outs of the IRS donation, money coming in, regulations like this. But wouldn't that $2 million, wouldn't that be income to Hunter? I wonder if he paid taxes on the $2 million. Ooh, that's a good question somebody needs to ask. Now, this entertainment lawyer is at the center of Hunter's newfound career of painting modern art. That's an occupation connected to the art market known for uh, corruption. Morris helped Hunter forge a framework to sell art to anonymous buyers. Morris put this whole thing together through a dealer that has ties to the Chinese art market every day. I told you, every day something new comes up about Biden corruption. Morris was also involved in Hunter's 2021 controversial memoir. According to the New York Post, both Morris and Hunter are represented by the same art agents. There's another buyer, but that's unknown right now, the name. But this single buyer bought 11 Hunter Biden artworks for a total of 875 grand. That one buyer represents the majority of the $1.379 million in receipts that Hunter's gallery got for his work with the gallery receiving a 40 to 45% commission. It's not a bad payday. The $875,000 art buyer lives outside of New York, purchased some of Hunter's largest format works, including a 12-foot-long red, white, and blue piece painted on sheet metal. And it's entitled (laughs) Pandemonium. How did he come up with a name? I don't know. In total, Hunter anonymously sold about 12 of those paintings for less than $500,000. That's according to the Washington Post. It's unclear how much money that Art generated at that sale. But estimates suggest he earned at least five times more than the average American artist, all while he was being nothing more than a novice painter. But he's the big guy's son. 
Insider reported yesterday that Hunter Biden's gallery has $1.379 million in receipts for his work. So Hunter boy, he just rocking and rolling. He is still doing pretty darn good sitting at the Joe Biden table, even if he's only getting scraps from daddy. <laughs> he's doing pretty darn good. I, I was just thinking about my, I, I didn't come from a, I came from a, a very basic fundamental middle class family. We didn't have a lot of anything. Yeah, we did. We had a lot of love. We got along great. My mom and dad broke up when I was, uh, let's see, it was the beginning of my junior year in high school. And it rocked my world. It changed everything. But it's all worked out for the good, thank God. I don't like to think that a divorce ever works out for the good of anybody. Very seldom do they. But we had each other. And when things got tough, when one of us got in trouble, everybody pulled together. I can't take away from Joe Biden that he loves his family members, except that little four-year-old grandchild in Arkansas that he refuses to even accept, even though biologically the world knows that little girl is Joe Biden's granddaughter. I guess maybe loving your family members can be uh, selective. <laughs> you can leave one or two out. If that little girl from Arkansas was my granddaughter, oh my gosh, I've got two granddaughters and I love them to death. To all of our grandchildren, I'm Poppy. Marianne is Nani. And we spend a lot of time with our grandkids. They all live right here in an area around us just a few miles. And we're a very close family. That's the best thing about having good relationships with your family members, especially if you're blessed like we are to have them in the same town. Most families like this, the kids move off or mom and dad moves off and getting together and seeing each other is a, you know, once or twice a year kind of thing. But let me say this about Joe and his relationship with Bo, his son, the one we told you was at one time the Delaware Attorney General, he died of brain cancer, and it just ripped Joe's heart out. I'd, it, it, same thing would do to me if my son Caleb died. Our kids aren't supposed to, uh, they're not supposed to die before mom and dad. They're supposed to bury us, not the other way around. And I know that was tough on Joe, but listen, Life goes on, and you're in politics. You've been in politics your entire adult life. You were the youngest person to become a U.S. senator. You were in the Senate for 50 years. The White House is vice president for eight years, and you're two and a half years into your own presidency. Joe, if you can remember it, because his memory is going bonkers right now. What are you talking about now? What's new? Joe claimed that he cured cancer. No, you didn't hear me wrong. Joe claimed that he cured cancer. And he said it twice publicly. He said it twice publicly. I don't know the details. I really don't need to know them. 
You don't either. There's just problems there. Well, news coming out of Delaware. It is breaking right now. Hunter Biden pled guilty. Hold on just a second. We knew that already. I got a bad piece of information online. So let me see. I'm getting all kind of stuff. People are sending me links real quickly. Nope. The court there is still in session. It's not finished yet. I think everybody, everybody is uh, anxious to find out what's going to happen here. Why would that be? I think everybody, all of us can relate to that. Every one of us at some time or another has had some kind of back and forth with the IRS. I mean, those are the scariest people on the planet. And when you own a business, especially one that has a lot of cash flow, you really have to be careful because you can book it. They're watching you. They're looking at what you're doing financially and what you're reporting. And they just have this way to access things that you and I probably never could without being a big arm, a big agency in the federal government. It's scary. And I said that to say this, the fear of getting in trouble with the IRS with the power that they have, fear is a great deterrent for me in any way. I've never done drugs, never. Never even smoked a, uh, uh, a marijuana cigarette, never have. You know the principal reason I haven't? Yeah, I was curious. You know, we all would like to know especially something that happens to a bunch of different people and it seems to be, you know, cool or the cool thing to do. You want peer pressure, uh, those kind of things. But I never got into drugs, never tried drugs because they scared me to death. Not the drugs themselves, but what I saw happening to people around me. And you got a guy like Hunter Biden. It's almost as if he doesn't fear anything or anybody. He literally is the picture, the epitome of the term, fly by the seat of your pants. In other words, just go do anything and everything you want to do. Don't worry about it. Don't think about it. If you want to do it, bam, go do it. Now, some people look at that as being very cavalier and cool. Oh, yeah, man. I just want to go around the world. Well, how am I going to do it? I'm just going to buy a plane ticket to someplace overseas and... Well, what are you going to do when you get there? I have no idea. I'll just try to find a place to stay for a while. I have people in my life that think that way. That, my friends, is scary. It really is scary to me. And I'm one of those that I like to think about my life being um, planned out. Me planning it out. But in very, very few circumstances do our lives play out exactly like we want them to. Exactly. In the most part, I think most of us can kind of plan, get a, uh, a drawing, maybe um, not with all the details, and then go for it and work for it. I told you about that cancer thing. Let me give you the details of it. President Biden... He was just excoriated on social media yesterday. He said his administration has effectively ended cancer as we know it. 
He made that comment when he was giving a speech about expanding access to mental health care at the White House. <laughs> that's, that's an oxymoron. <laughs> access to mental health care at the White House. I guess Joe's going to open up the West Wing. <laughs> going to take mental patients. Well, he could start by looking in his own family. He discussed his commitment to tackling the mental health crisis as part of his unity agenda. Here's what he said. One of the things I'm always asked is why Americans have sort of lost faith for a while in being able to do big things. If you could do anything at all, Joe, what would you do? I said, I'd I'd cure cancer. Well, they looked at me like, why cancer? Because no one thinks we can. That's why. And we can. We ended cancer as we know it, he said. And he doubled down. He said it again. Well, you can imagine social media went crazy. Critics were quick to seize the moment, some fact-checking the president, others mocking the apparent brazenness of his claim. The dementia is so bad that now he thinks he cured cancer. (laughs) That's State Freedom Caucus Network Communication Director Greg Price. He tweeted that. Hey, at Joe Biden cured cancer, everybody. He just announced it. He did it with all the money Hunter got from him for other countries. He's a cancer-curing, child-sniffing, cocaine-doing hero. Bow down, Democrats, to the end of cancer hero. That's actor Nick Searcy who tweeted it. Rogan Ahanley, a conservative influence who uses the handle at DC Drano, wrote, Biden just announced that he's cured cancer. Yes, He seriously did. We are an international joke. Trending politics co-owner Colin Rugg responded, Just in, President Joe Biden has officially cured cancer, according to Joe Biden. What an amazing day for people all around the world. Biden will now be working to cure dementia. (laughs) And Rugg He had a follow-up. He wrote this. Joe is the second smartest person I know. Hunter is the first. (laughs) It's hard to believe this kind of stuff happens, but it's it's happening. It's not hard to believe it happens. But my gosh, it's happening in the White House. And it's happening to our president when we're in a really bad place across the board in our nation. We're going to get into some of that. And yes, we're keeping our eyes on the Delaware courthouse. We'll give you the goings on of what's happening in that hearing when uh, Hunter's trying to work out his deal and keep from going to jail. Hi guys, this is the Chevy Silverado with the world's first invisible trailer. Invisible trailer? And it's not the trailer right next to us? This guy? You don't believe me? Hop in. Good-looking pickup, I will say that. Silverado offers an optional technology package with up to 15 different views, including one enhanced view that makes your trailer appear invisible. Wow. That's pretty sweet. That's cool. That's awesome. Where's the trailer, though? (laughs) I love it. It's magic. (laughs) I can't believe it. I've been playing 4-on-4 with a barbershop quartet. 
Pass the ball, pass the rock. We're open, just pass the ball. Nah, I can't believe how easy it was to save hundreds of dollars on my car insurance with Geico. Yeah. Believe it. Geico could save you 15% or more on car insurance. For more unbelievable Geico videos, give subscribe a click. This is the sound of regular water droplets. This is the sound of vitamin water droplets. Regular water, vitamin water. Regular water, vitamin water. Hey, come on now. Vitamin water. It has vitamins, but also parties. American Ladders and Scaffolds. Deal with the experts. Scaffolding, rental, and setup. Installation of truck racks, Lear truck caps, tonneau covers, and van shelving. Fall protection. Ladder and scaffold training and inspections. Little giant ladders. Custom access ladders and guardrails for commercial buildings. American Ladders and Scaffolds. Delivery everywhere, every day. American Ladders and Scaffolds. We take you higher. We take you higher. CBS, NBC, ABC, MSNBC, CNN. An alphabet soup of lies, myths, and disinformation. For real nutrition, you need a full plate of truth. TNN, the Truth News Network. Last night, I was just doing some heavy thinking about what's going on in the nation. I try to, at least once a day, pull myself back up from the ground level, back up to about the 10,000-foot level, and look at the landscape of everything going on down here. Why do that? Because I think maybe I can be a little more objective, and I try to keep from falling into an emotional state of any kind. And that helps me do that. So that, that that's what I was doing last night. I just started thinking about all this stuff that's out there. And to put it in perspective, let me tell you what I come up with. Every time I do this, I try to come up with, at the end of it, some specifics that I'm comfortable of, comfortable with, that I feel it's okay to think about those. And it may be coming from a combination of a myriad of bad things that are going on. But everything's not bad. Thank God everything's not bad. Think about if we were living in this nation with these circumstances, but our government was one from a third world country. And when I said that, somebody on the other end, you're thinking when I said it, well, I think we may have a third world country government. I think you understand what I'm talking about. I like to be as objective as I can while sharing things that are only factual and that I know are factual. That means many times you got to turn the emotion off. When I crack this microphone to turn it on, I've got to get the emotion out. I've just basically got to rely on the facts as I, as I see them. And to help me do that every once in a while, I turn to a couple of gurus out there that have a knack of doing what I need to be doing more often, getting objective and not leaning towards my personal feelings and spending more of my time doing the personal feeling thing than finding facts and being objective. One such powerhouse 
is Victor Davis Hanson. I love to listen to him talk. Why? Because he's objective. Now, I know for a fact he has a lot of personal opinions about pretty much everything. He's one of us. We're human beings. We're American citizens. We all have our own conclusions. But Victor, he has a way of being a little more objective than I can in most cases. And as we're looking at this Hunter Biden in Delaware before the federal judge right now, working on whether or not the judge is going to accept that plea deal that Joe worked out, excuse me, Hunter worked out between his lawyers in the Department of Justice. While that's going on, there's a lot of other stuff that's happened and is still happening among the members of the Biden family syndicate. Victor Davis Hanson, he put it in perspective for me last night. You have followed presidential administrations for many decades. I'm curious, as you put this into perspective, have you ever seen someone in power or someone's family in power really behave with such impunity? No, I haven't. I mean, we had Donald Nixon, we had Roger Clinton, we had Billy Carter, but the public and the president in the office knew the problem, so they didn't bring them into the White House. And this is unusual, it's the first time. And, you know, I don't want to pass judgment until I have all the facts, but you would think, given the fact that Hunter Biden has lost a firearm that he illegally registered, or that he left a crack pipe in a car that he rented, or he's lost two or three laptops, you would think that this White House would go on any uh, level of transparency to dispel any suspicion, and yet they can't get the date right. They say that he was not there Friday. We know he was. They say that they're going to invoke the Hatch Act, which is absolutely ridiculous. Cocaine has nothing to do with politics and government service. And so all they have to do, as you pointed out, was say, no, no Biden family member had cocaine, and they won't do that. And so all they do is increase the suspicion. And then this story, Will, becomes a force multiplier of the loof narrative of the whistleblowers from the IRS, of the FBI subpoenaed documents in front of Congress about the $10 million payoff. And at some point, they're like the proverbial camel uh, straws on a camel's back. They become too burdensome. You can't just deal with them. And they're starting to do that now. And they give a picture of a corrupt family and a son that's totally out of control and he belongs somewhere, but anywhere, but not in the White House. He just can't be in the White House. And that poses the question, why is he there? Is, he, is Joe Biden afraid that he'll go and talk about the family business or his own problems and implicate both? It's a very strange relationship between father and son, and it's not uh, a, a narrative of familial or father love, fatherly love. It's something very strange because we've never seen problematic members of a presidential family showcased and in the center of the power of the United States government. Yeah, and Victor, to me, the story actually, while it's fun to talk about, isn't so much about some lost cocaine. It's about a family that acts with impunity. And then quite even larger than that, a political movement that almost inevitably, Victor, is guilty of the sins of which they accuse of others. This is like everything they ever accused or implied was the Trump's actually, in reality, is the Biden's. Yeah, it's the art of 
It's a classic case of projection. When Joe Biden tours the country and lectures the Americans that they have to pay their fair share, then that poses the question, how do you account for the lavish lifestyles of the Bidens versus the amount of taxes that were reported? They don't match, so don't lecture us about that. And when you talk about duty and responsibility, then everybody has to be equal under the law. This is a question of equality under the law. We saw it with Hunter Biden and his tax exposure. We saw it with his failure to register as a government agency. And we don't get the normal questions that would apply to anybody else in the White House. And everybody finally gets to the point where, why don't the Bidens just follow the law like every other American citizen? And the fact that they don't, and then they lecture everybody about uh, their purported sins is just too much to take. And the fact that the reporters now are starting to, the first time in this administration, ask questions suggest, I think, Will, that the left and the Democratic Party is starting to see this family as a liability. And you lay out one more protection there, Victor, which is they constantly scream, no one is above the law. We have one quite obvious example that that is not the case. The Bidens are above the law. Victor Davis Hanson, thank you so much. Isn't it ironic that the people that scream that the loudest, nobody's above the law, not even a sitting president. Nancy Pelosi, when House Speaker, she said that constantly about Donald Trump. Well, she operated her life like she was above the law, insider trading. She got busted over and over and over again for doing it, for enriching her family. Her husband is a commercial real estate developer and he's worth millions that Nancy set up for him regarding using her position in Congress to put him in the middle of the most sweetheart deals you can imagine, especially out in California. No accountability. Our kids, kids today, are not experiencing being held accountable for their wrongdoing. Like my generation, every kid was almost without exception. If your parent wasn't whooping you for the stuff that you did wrong, you were the only kid in the neighborhood in which you live that wasn't having that happen. Part of human nature is we're going to push the boundaries. That's human nature. Push the boundaries as far as we can and get away with as much as we can of what we want. And we're typically... Human nature-wise, we're not going to stop doing it unless and until we are held accountable for it. Kind of like the guy that's standing in front of the judge today at the Delaware Federal Courthouse waiting to find out if he's going to get away with IRS fraud. And by violating a federal law, by lying on a gun ownership application that was sent into the feds, He said he wasn't using drugs and had never used drugs, which is a felony violation, but he's hoping he's going to get away with it. Well, while we're watching the Newswire, I don't even know where that term ever came from, Newswire. I worked in radio for many, many, many years. We didn't have a wire. I, I know where it started from, the Associated Press and UPI. They used to have these ticker things that were hooked to a phone line and constantly news was coming down that phone line to radio stations and newspapers and radios and, and television stations. But anyway, 
We're watching for the latest development coming out of the Delaware courthouse. And while we're doing that, I want to talk to you about something that um, it's controversial, but it's a real thing happening. It has to do with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. We have that plus one more special thing for you today. It looks like, and I don't want to scare you by saying this, it looks like we the people could be in store maybe in a couple of months, maybe in the deep part of winter, another pandemic, pandemic two. Sit tight. You don't want to miss any of this today. Our next Starbucks customer is Ron. Hello. Strictly espresso, in and out, except during the Christmas season. Uh, I have a list. When he turns into uh, Santa. A venti iced white mocha triple shot. He's getting stickers for the new Starbucks Philippines uh, planner. A grande toffee nut latte. It's made by Moleskine? Wow, right? Venti green tea cream frappuccino. Hey, uh, you got all the stickers. No, no it's for my wife. I, I understand. The 2016 Starbucks Philippines planner by Moleskine. Promo runs November 2 to January 7, 2016. For DTI FTEB SBD permit number 10616, series of 2015. Whether holding down the fort or bouncing back to school, childhood is always in session. So keep feeding us right with sun-made snacks. Just like when you were a kid. Remember the naturally sweet raisins? Yup, still delicious. And so are Sunmate's other snacks, like creamy yogurt-covered raisins, sour raisin snacks that taste like sour candy with no added sugar, and Sunmate's new s'mores and birthday cake bites. All delicious, all made with whole fruit. Sunmade snacks. Cars today are computers on wheels. That's it. Uh, the fancy new tech makes our life easier in the car. But when something breaks, can you afford to fix the touchscreen display or the sensor, which can cost thousands of dollars? Most likely, no. That's why I have CarShield. And it takes away the worry and the panic of the expensive repair that you know is coming. CarShield, their protection plans can save you thousands for covered repairs, including everything from an engine, transmission, GPS, electronics, and more. You can have your favorite mechanic or dealership do the work, and CarShield takes care of the rest. They also offer complimentary roadside assistance and a rental car. It's inevitable something's going to break. It happens to everybody, including me. So get coverage from America's number one auto protection company like I did and find out why CarShield cars go farther. Rates are as low as $99 a month, so visit carshield.com. Use the promo code iHeart to save 10%. That's carshield.com, promo code iHeart. Deductible may apply. Good old 70s music day there. Temptations just my imagination. Great song. What's the big stuff that's out there I told you about, about DeSantis? Things aren't going really well for President, uh, excuse me, President Wannabe, but Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. He would like to be on the top of the heap in the polls running for president, but things are not playing out like he thought they would. His campaign announced mass layoffs. A total of 38 jobs are being cut, according to Politico. The layoffs reportedly include 10 event planning jobs and the previously reported exit of campaign advisors Dave Abrams and Tucker Obenshane. Following a top-to-bottom review of our organization, we've taken additional aggressive steps to streamline operations 
and put Ron DeSantis in the strongest position to win this primary and defeat Joe Biden. Governor DeSantis is going to lead the great American comeback, and we're ready to hit the ground running as we head into an important month of the campaign. That's from campaign manager Janera Peck in a statement. The report of the cuts comes in the middle of a strategy shift from the DeSantis campaign following poll problems. The Florida governor is currently polling at number two, 18% behind former President Trump. That's according to Real Clear Politics average, down from over 30% in January. Team DeSantis has lit tens of millions of dollars on fire. In return, DeSantis has seen a collapse in polling. The people left to suffer are a few dozen low- and mid-level staffers. If Ron actually cared about spending the money wisely, he'd refund every dollar he has left and go back to governing Florida, which is what he was elected to do. That's from Caroline Levitt, a spokeswoman for Make America Great Again Incorporated. That's Trump's super PAC in a statement in response to those layoffs. So what's really going on here? Well, it has to do with the polling. Florida Governor DeSantis sank to a weekly tracking low in Morning Consult's latest survey released late yesterday. The survey found former President Trump increasing his majority support by four points. He moved from 55% support to 59%. DeSantis, however, fell four points, four more points, moving from 20% last week to just 16% this week, which Morning Consult describes as his weekly tracking low of his campaign. In other words... Trump's lead has expanded from 35% last week to 43% this week. And then anti-woke businessman Vivek Ramaswamy remained in number three spot, maintaining 8% support, same as last week. Mike Pence, former vice president, came in fourth, but fell from 7% support to 6 Former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley remained in fifth spot with 4% support. Tim Scott and former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, both of whom saw 2% report. It's just not seeming to work. DeSantis can't get any kind of um, quick push to the upside. Many people think it's happening for one of several reasons, and the one that I think it's happening because is he waited too long to announce and come into the race. And the other thing, too, and we talked about it here. Steve Baker talked to me uh, on air a few weeks ago. We talked about DeSantis and what we thought he missed and should have done instead of the way he did it. And I said this from the very beginning. He should have gone to Donald Trump. He should have sat down with the former president who obviously has a record in the White House that Americans can point to. And Donald Trump can say, he can say for sure, factually, here's what we were able to accomplish. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. The American people, that resonates with them because we lived in it. We benefited from it. Every American, even Democrats, benefited from that. Wouldn't it have made more common sense if DeSantis had gone to Trump and said, hey, look, I want to throw my support to you 
as president. I want to be your vice president. And so here's why, here's my thinking. I want to do this, and here's the reason why, and it's kind of a package deal. I think it's good for you, it's good for me, it's good for the people of Florida, and it's good for the United States and every American. Let me run with you as your vice presidential pick. I'll support you. I'll be out on the campaign trail with you, or when you're somewhere, I'll be somewhere else. We'll blanket the nation to talk about the MAGA MAGA process moving on again for four more years. But what I want you to do, Mr. President, is I want you to teach me the things that I have no experience in that I would need later. Things like foreign policy, things like military, everything to do with our military, and many other things that I don't even know are out there yet. You support me in a run four years from now. And that way, conservatives would have a good chance of having a conservative in the White House for 12 more years. I think if DeSantis had done that, he'd be in a much better spot than where he is right now. Yeah, it would come with some baggage. Everybody understands the orange man is a lightning rod for all kinds of stuff. But what he is able to do that nobody else in this race is able to do, including the incumbent wannabe, that would be Joe Biden, Donald Trump promised all this stuff when he was campaigning, and when he became president, he did every bit of it. Every bit of it, the few things that he wasn't able to accomplish, it was because Congress wouldn't go along with him. Who else in your lifetime can say that? Ronald Reagan couldn't say that. He had a brick wall in legislative matters almost every day. There were people in the Republican Party that really didn't like Ronald Reagan, didn't think he should have been president. Does that sound eerily familiar of this Republican Party regarding Donald Trump? I've always looked at people that brag all the time, and the first thing I ask I may not ask it outwardly, but I think, and if I had the chance, I would ask him, why don't you just go do it instead of brag about it? Don't tell me what you're going to do. Just go do it. Actions speak far louder than do words. And I'll give you the shot. And if you're successful, I'll be your biggest advocate going forward. But don't brag about it. Now, Deion Sanders, you remember him? Famous uh, famous football player, baseball player. I'll never forget when he was at Florida State. I was doing radio, the play-by-play color commentary on the Louisiana Tech football network. We went down there, a game in, uh, in, uh, at Florida State. And we had a good wide receiver named... Bobby Slaughter. Bobby, he was a great receiver, but he could not run fast. He had that white boy syndrome, same thing I have. (laughs) And he was open out in the flats. The quarterback turned quickly and wheeled and threw him a pass, maybe 10, 15 yards. Nobody was covering him in the secondary, and he headed for the goal line. And all of a sudden, 
I looked and I saw a streak coming from the opposite side of the field and ran Bobby down before he could score. That was Deion Sanders. Now, why did I tell you that? Deion, he bragged a lot about what he could do. And I remember him and Howard Cosell having a conversation about that. Deion told Howard, it ain't bragging if you can do it. Trump can do that. It's not bragging if he did it. And he has a whole lot of accomplishments that he can stand on. Nobody can credibly disagree with that. Let's move on. Still waiting for news to come out of Delaware. Something kind of slipped up in the news yesterday that nobody had been talking about. You remember the name Capitol Police Officer Aquino Gonell, 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 G-O-N-E-L-L? Right after January 6th, he was on every show. He was doing everything. He testified before Congress. He testified before the January 6th committee. He repeatedly testified under oath and in federal court that he suffered near-death injuries on January 6th. But guess what happens? Somebody that you and I know, that would be Steve Baker, who's normally on the show with us every Tuesday. He was in hearings all day yesterday, so he couldn't join us. He'll, uh, he may come on later this week, but for sure, if not this week, when he comes back on Tuesday and give us an insight. But if you remember the last couple of times Steve's been here, he's telling us, recounting, he was giving, he was given access to the footage, the thousands of hours of video footage from January 6th. And he was able to go into the Capitol to their video room down in the bowels and spend hours going over pieces of video and analyzing it and looking at it, trying to tie all the claims made by people of this happened and this happened and this happened, only to find out that most of what the derogatory stuff was about anything to do with Donald Trump supporters, most of it didn't happen. And guess what? Officer Gonell lied again and again under oath. He was never in a position where he could claim credibly that he suffered near-death injuries on January 6th. How much more of that kind of stuff are we dealing with in all of the uproar about the January 6th stuff? The fact that when this infamous January 6th committee was formed by former Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi and the people she put on it, and the structure was that they were going to call witnesses But the two fake Republicans that were put on that committee couldn't call any witnesses that Democrats on that committee were going to ask questions of witnesses. Republicans couldn't. Nobody was allowed to cross-examine, and the Republicans in the committee couldn't present any evidence. It was a sham, a monkey trial. It had nothing to do with anything That was real. And this thing with Gunnell plays right into that. I wonder how much of that has really happened and how many of those people that are in jail already that were the so-called insurrectionists, seditionists, and rioters, how many of them should not be in jail? 
I would say, and I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, but I'm going to tell you it's an educated guess, I would say half of the people that have been tried and found guilty and are in jail shouldn't be in jail. The January 6th was a tragedy, everything that happened that day, no question about it. But the things that have been portrayed by those on the left, many of those things are not true. And Americans are paying for those lies with their life of freedom. Many Americans are. Do you know that today there are people that in perfectly logical and freedom-loving purposes went to Washington, D.C. that day to see the transition, to see what was going to happen? I know personally people that are sitting at home now and they're petrified waiting for somebody to knock on the front door, open the door, it would be an FBI agent coming to arrest them, take them into custody. That's happening every day now. Our FBI has weaponized itself against any conservative, especially those evil Donald Trump mega MAGA sycophants. That's sad. It really is sad. Let's move on. I told you going into the break, there is right now brewing here in the United States of America. It's not on the public. Hardly anybody's talking about it. But it almost looks like and sounds like many medical and political experts are planning on there being pandemic number two. What's this all about? Before recent headlines, most of us haven't been thinking much about smallpox. But an important timeline of events published by Corey Diggs shows us how the same foundations, corporations, and NGOs responsible for COVID-19 have been very busy with smallpox. Since June of 2001, when the Center for Strategic and International Studies, Johns Hopkins, and ANSWER, who was awarded the majority of money for Operation Warp Speed, simulated a smallpox attack on U.S. citizens named Dark Winter. We're about to go into a dark winter, a dark winter. And begin preparing for a smallpox attack. In September of 2007, the FDA licensed a new modern smallpox vaccine made by Sanofi Pasteur. In 2014, six vials of smallpox are found in a cardboard box at the NIH and transferred to the CDC. Months later, the first antiviral drug used to treat smallpox was created, funded by Bill Gates and the Wellcome Trust. On October 6, 2017, Emergent Biosolutions, responsible for a vaccine that injured over 300,000 soldiers, acquired the smallpox vaccine contract from Sanofi Pasteur. In July of 2018, the FDA approves a drug to treat smallpox made by Sega Technologies, who signs a contract to maintain a stockpile of 1.7 million doses of their antiviral drug. September 3, 2019, Emergent Biosolutions is awarded $2 billion to deliver their smallpox vaccine into the national stockpile. 
Weeks later, one of only two labs in the world known to store live samples of the variola virus that causes smallpox suffers an explosion. And the FDA approves a vaccine to prevent both smallpox and monkeypox. In March of 2021, Merck secures over $300 million from the Biden administration and the Bill Gates Foundation to convert, upgrade, and equip their facilities. In June of 2021, the FDA approves the antiviral treatment for smallpox, which was funded by Bill Gates and the Wellcome Trust in 2014. In July, Oxford University assists SEGA in expanding use of their monkeypox drugs into the Central African Republic. On Halloween, Joe Biden signs an executive order to exercise authority over the national defense stockpile. Weeks later, Bill Gates warns governments of a smallpox terror attack. Seven days after that, several vials of smallpox are incidentally discovered at the Merck facility in Pennsylvania. The very next day, a rare case of monkeypox is discovered in Maryland. What else are we not listening to that we need to take action on now? Well, the, the idea of a, a bioterrorist attack is kind of the nightmare scenario because they're a pathogen with a high death rate would be picked. Now, the good news is most of the work we're gonna do to be ready for pandemic two, I, I call this pandemic one. Pandemic one, we lived through that horror. We made, we wrote the script live, each of us playing our role in it when it happened. And there were so many travesties, moving parts, and thousands, tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of Americans died needlessly and senselessly from COVID-19. Maybe not from COVID itself, but from the treatments that were given to people that we found out later, sadly far too later, that they didn't have to die for that. And now... Nobody's talking about it, but Pandemic 2 is out there. It's out there. And who knows what's going to happen? I don't know, but we talked about it here extensively. We had Dr. Peter McCullough on. We've had multiple doctors on this show. Dr. Fleming, Dr. Judy Mikovits, and each of them told us without any question the political piece of COVID-19 is something that was a trial by Big Pharma to see just how much we Americans would give away to our government of our freedoms. And they learned a lot from us, didn't they? Real Truth, Real News, TNN, The Truth News Network. I'm a Verizon engineer, and today we're turning on 5G across the country, including right here in New York City. With the coverage of 5G nationwide and in more and more cities, the unprecedented performance of ultra-wideband. It will change your phone and how businesses do everything. I'm proud because we didn't build it the easy way. We built it right. This is the 5G America's been waiting for, only from Verizon. 5G ultra-wideband available only in parts of select cities. 5G nationwide available in 1,800-plus cities. 
So, Miss Harris, what makes you think you're a good fit with us here at Schmidt, Starks, and Soprensky? Oh, sir, there are so many reasons. I specialized in research and theoretical studies for several years at the Southampton Institute, mm -hmm. preceded by intensive graduate studies at Syracuse. <laughs> Certainly, my skills are well-suited for a position here at Schmidt, Starks, and Soprensky? Oh, thanks. A job interview and a root canal on the same day. Want to get away? Get the heck out of there with Southwest Airlines. Fly coast to coast for $99 or less by November 3rd. It was nice meeting you, sir. Yes, we'll get back to you soon. Soon. Southwest Airlines, a symbol of freedom. Call 1-800-IFLY-SWA. Telling the truth, the mainstream media doesn't want you to hear. Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. Again, here's Dan. We're watching the front of the courthouse, federal courthouse in Delaware, waiting for the outcome of this hearing with Hunter Biden and that federal judge. I want to talk to you just for a second about something. I, I really hadn't been paying attention. The way my driving habits are, I, I use maybe a tank of gas a week in uh, my daily activities going here and going there. And I really haven't paid much attention to the price of gasoline at the pump. And the last couple of days, um, I'm getting down to where I need to go fill up again. That's why. And I start looking at the price of gas at the pumps. It's back up again. I live in northwest Louisiana. Louisiana is a very heavily um, involved state in the oil industry. We have tons of offshore drilling. We have... Uh, all kinds of factories and refineries, especially down in South Louisiana. So we're very cognizant of it. But one good thing about Louisiana is our government keeps the price of gasoline lower than most other states in the South and certainly lower than the states on the left and the, the right coast. But I started looking as I drew, drove by these uh, places with gas. And I actually saw... One spot that I thought was a discount gas place, you know, those places that try to uh, basically give it away to get you in the store so you'll go buy some goodies, $3.71 a gallon, almost passed out. Now, a week ago, now, I buy my gas most of the time, Sam's Club, you know, Sam's, Wholesale Warehouse. They happen to sell gas, in our town at least, usually much cheaper than some of these other places. A week ago, Monday, so that would be 10 days ago, last time I filled up, I paid $2.71 a gallon for my gas. And if I was going to fill it up yesterday at this place that I drove by, a dollar a gallon more. Now, I know... That 371 is going to be on the upper end of it, no question about it. But gas is going back up. Why is that? Why would that be the case? So we have that rolling around in our minds. We have Joe Biden out there bragging on the campaign trail about Bidenomics and look what it's done for you. It's done this and done that. And our unemployment is fantastic and people are making more money because of me, Joe Biden. None of that crap is actually what he's saying it is. None of it. And they're getting away with it. But 
we as conservatives are not making enough noise about the reality of the crud we're living through directly because of the actions taken or the inactions, whichever, by Joe Biden and his administration. It's, it's as if nobody, nobody up there in Washington is running the herd. In other words, the people that are part of the administration, nobody's leading them. Nobody's watching them. Nobody's holding them accountable for wrongdoing and to make sure they're doing the right stuff. I think that is one example of why Donald Trump or someone like Donald Trump that's got a very strong history in large-scale corporate operations. I think that's why Donald Trump, chiefly why Donald Trump did so successfully make our economy be the best economy we've had in decades during his four years, in spite of the fact that we had COVID-19 and the egregious lockdowns that we had, all of the misinformation, the lies, the fear, all of that rolled it in. We still had a very strong four-year economic in our nation. It was good. So who's minding the ship now? Somebody needs to figure it out economically, especially because it's about to get worse. Announced just a few minutes ago, the Fed, the Federal Reserve, is set to raise interest rates to a 22-year high after a June pause. Another interest rate hike. Resuming, the Fed is, its campaign to jack up borrowing costs and crush inflation after a brief pause in the month of June. The projected quarter percentage point hike would set the federal funds rate somewhere between five and a quarter and five and a half percent. Now, what's that mean? That means that's the bottom. That's the percentage that banks pay to the Federal Reserve when they get money that they then turn around and put their profit on top of it and lend it to you and I. Five and a half percent. 22 year high. That's going to further restrict economic activity. Costs for buying homes, cars, and other items, much, much higher. It would mark the highest rate since 2001 and the 11th increase in nearly a year and a half. But Wall Street is even more focused on Fed Chairman Jerome Powell's press conference at 2.30 p.m. today as they look for more clues about what comes next in the Fed's inflation fight. Powell may leave the door open to at least one more rate hike this year, depending on upcoming economic data releases, even amid the signs that inflation is continuing to cool. Now, if you listen to President Biden out on the economics campaign trail, he is thumping his chest. He is proud. He is making Bidenomics, is making life for Americans the best they've ever experienced, according to him. Somebody's in his ear telling him that. He's certainly not out there figuring it out for himself, and he's certainly not talking to the American people. Lawlessness everywhere. Inflation out the wazoo. 
it's easing a bit. That's what the Fed's putting out there. That's what the Biden folks are putting out there. Oh, inflation's going down. 14% up from when Joe became president. You and I are paying that price, but you don't get that from listening to him or anybody in his administration. And if anybody in conservative America, if they get on a television show or a radio show or writing a story and they talk down about Bidenomics, they're immediately cut off from information coming out of this government because those people, they're not being truthful. It's all better because of me, Joe Biden. Let me tell you something else we're not talking about. A top official at the DHS, Department of Homeland Security, has admitted that Joe Biden's catch-and-release policies are helping the cartels get filthy rich by ushering more of their migrant clients into American jobs. Now, the admissions of this came from Blas Nunez Nito, who is Alejandro Mayorkas's deputy for border and immigration policy at DHS. Quote, we see migrants now routinely paying smuggling organizations vast sums of money, often more than ten dollars to $15,000, to facilitate their journey to the border. This is so lucrative for cartels, in fact, that we are now seeing the drug cartels increasingly becoming a key player in not just collecting taxes for people who transit through their territory in northern Mexico, which is what we saw historically, but actually moving people and becoming deeply involved in human smuggling, not just in Mexico, but throughout the region, including in South America's Colombia and Darien Gap region. The cartel's expanding business is built on their ability, how easy it is to deliver U.S. jobs to their clients. Nunez Nito admitted that. Why would someone pay that much money to come to our border? And I think the simple answer is that once they're in immigration court in the system and they file the requisite asylum paperwork, they are immediately eligible for employment authorization which is obviously something that we support, talking about Alejandro Mayorkas and DHS, but that means they have years to live in the U.S. and go through the asylum process and earn money, support their family members back home during the process. I think we're seeing the asylum court system essentially become a proxy legal pathway for people to come into the United States and work while they're here. Now, what does this mean? It means that all of these 5 million, 5 million illegals that have come here since Joe Biden's been president, and it's probably more than that, but at least 5 million. Let's just assume for grins that half of that 5 million are adults that will be looking for work. Okay, what about half of the half? That would still be a million two hundred fifty thousand jobs. Now, where are those jobs coming from? It's not like this is an entrepreneur that is going out there and throwing hundreds of billions of dollars into this new industry, brand new, creating it, and we're going to go and hire a million two hundred fifty thousand people 
to work, help us get this big new entity going. That's not happening. What's happening is this administration, listen to what I'm about to tell you, this administration is in the pockets of big corporations. You know, those evil top 10, those people that Joe Biden says aren't paying their fair share in taxes, we're going to go out and get them. Yeah, he'll go out and put his hand out and get a campaign contribution. Why is that? Because these big corporations, many of them, especially the ones that are in agriculture, they're begging to find ways to hire people for a lower cost than what they're paying now. And who would be the candidate for that? The best candidate for that? An illegal alien that just came here and actually got through Alejandro Mayorkas's y'all come on down rule or you come on up rule. And with this new thing, Mayorkas cooked up himself, which is in direct violation of federal law, opposite to what the law says. But Joe Biden says it's okay. Why would Joe Biden say it's okay? Probably because he's getting big money from these big corporations and they're going to keep giving it to him and other Democrats as long as they don't go back to enforcing the rule of law. We can't ever do that. We've got to be able to make more money. And here's how we do it. We help Joe Biden and Alejandro Mayorkas to break the law every day and not be held accountable for it. Why do you not hear that complaint coming out of people that are technically in that class of um, politically called rhino, R-I-N-O, Republican in name only? Who would a few of those be? Well, how about the minority leader in the Senate. What about the the former presidential candidate in the Senate? I'm talking about Mitt Romney. Why aren't they out there promoting this kind of stuff, damning this kind of stuff, calling for accountability, going after Joe Biden for his egregious and in many cases illegal executive actions that he's taken, knowing that they're going to be challenged, but also knowing that the federal court system has clogged out the wazoo and it takes years to get anything done. And while that's being adjudicated, going through the federal court system, guess what we're going to do? We're going to make a lot of money. Mitch McConnell, minority leader over in the Senate, he's not out there pushing for the rule of law, especially immigration laws to be enforced. Why is that? His wife is the daughter of the guy, the Chinese guy, who owns one of the largest transportation companies on the planet. Transportation companies, what does that mean? Ships coming from other countries. Hey, hey, hey. Lots of room in the holds on those ships. We could uh, we could work out a deal for somebody to maybe put some people on there, get them into the United States, and go to Alejandro Mayorkas's ports of entry and log into this new asylum process that Alejandro single-handedly made and make a lot of money. 
The love of money is the root of all evil. We all know that. You hear it from me all the time. All the time you hear it from me. So I don't want to lose the opportunity today to get into something that happened that is pretty nasty in my opinion. Dave Rubin's going to tell us about it. But it has to do with our Vice President, Kamala Harris. And it has to do with some news and information that was put out day before yesterday and yesterday doubled down on, tripled down on. People are lying about something going on in the state of Florida. Let's continue with the train of lies because the thing that really lit this on fire was that Vice President Kamala Harris, the queen of Venn diagrams, uh, she was very upset about this and then she appeared in Florida. Here's a little video of her freaking out about this thing that's not real a thing. We'll get to that. And while they do this, check it out. They push forward revisionist history. Just yesterday in the state of Florida, they decided middle school students will be taught that enslaved people benefited from slavery. They insult us in an attempt to gaslight us and we will not stand for it. Okay, she's very outraged about what's going on here. So um, look at this. I have a piece of paper in front of me and you're not going to believe this. We've got the actual information about what's going on here. Uh, This is from the National Review. Uh, I'll read it to you carefully and you'll get all of it. Uh, I have been trying to work out how to best illustrate the sheer scale of Harris's falsehood. And I've come to the conclusion that the only way to achieve it is to list in one place all of the relevant parts of the courts about which she is complaining. So below, I have copied and pasted every single reference to slaves, uh, slavery, slaves, abolitionism, uh, civil rights and African-Americans that is in the document. For those interested the full in the full curriculum, uh, including curriculum for teaching of the Holocaust is here. By the way, as I just said, we've linked to it in our video that you're watching right now so you can read the entire thing for yourself. There is simply no way of pursuing, of perusing this course and concluding that it gaslights people or whitewashes slavery. Among many, many other things, it includes sections on the conditions for Africans during their passage to America, the living conditions of slaves in British North American colonies, the Caribbean, Central America, and South America, including infant mortality rates, the harsh conditions and their consequences on British American plantations, for example, undernourishment, climate conditions, infant and child mortality rates of the enslaved versus the free, the harsh conditions in the Caribbean plantations, poor nutrition, rigorous labor, disease, how the South tried to prevent slaves from escaping and their efforts to end the Underground Railroad, the overwhelming death rates caused by the practice, the many ways in which Africans resisted slavery, the ramifications of prejudice, racism, and stereotyping on individual freedoms, and the struggles faced by African-American women in the 19th century as it relates to issues of suffrage, business, and access to education. Many of these modules apply to Florida specifically. So yes, Florida is going all in on teaching reality. There is nothing being whitewashed or anything else, but you guys get it. You guys get it. If you do anything, anything that is remotely against the woke, they will come and try to destroy you and lie about you. And it will be all the way up from uh, the vice president. Often it's the president himself, but from the VP to the harpies at the view to CBS to the activists online, the whole freaking thing. So for five days in a row, 
Vice President Kamala Harris, as she was preparing to go give this speech that she gave, her people, we are told, told her over and over again that that Florida Board of Education's new state app academic standards for social studies did not say that slavery in any way was good for slaves. And you just heard her yourself say exactly the opposite. So in the aftermath, this is really a big deal. This is just another example of Kamala Harris, where she is in her thinking and what she might do if for some reason she ever took up residence at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. The Florida Board of Education, July 19th, they unveiled a new state academic standards for social studies. And the document states that students should be taught, and I'm going to quote from the document, how slaves develop skills, which in some instances could be applied for their personal benefit. Now, Kamala Harris told that rally you just heard that students were taught, quote, enslaved people benefited from slavery. And believe it or not, I love this, a CNN Republican commentator went live and condemned Harris for speaking out against this new school curriculum in Florida, saying her anger at the course discussing how slaves benefited was misguided and calling the scandal that she says is a scandal fabricated. Now, this happened in Jacksonville, Florida on Saturday, condemned the new curriculum, which was unveiled on the 19th. The Florida Board of Education's new state academic standards for social studies states that students should be taught, and I'm quoting, how slaves develop skills, which in some instances could be applied for their personal benefit. But Harris said teaching students that slaves benefited from being enslaved was abhorrent. Scott Jennings, that political commentator, a Harvard lecturer, PR expert who served in the George W. Bush White House, said Harris was wrong, accusing her of making something literally out of nothing. What is amazing to me, he said, is that how little Kamala Harris apparently has to do that she can read something on Twitter one day and be on the airplane the next to make something literally out of nothing. This is a completely made-up deal. Jennings claimed the outrage over the curriculum that was approved by Florida Governor DeSantis and presidential candidate was unwarranted. I looked at the standards, he said. I even looked at an analysis of the standards. In every instance where the word slavery or slave was used, I even read the statement of the African-American scholars that wrote the standards, not Ron DeSantis, but the scholars. Everybody involved in this says this is completely a fabricated issue, and yet look at how quickly Kamala Harris jumped on it. So the fact that this is her best moment of fabricated matter is pretty ridiculous. So I looked at this thing, page six, and it's, by the way, 216-page document. It says this, quote, instruction includes how slaves develop skills which, in some instances, 
could be applied for their personal benefit. It also states on page 17 that teachers discussing race riots such as the Tulsa massacre should talk about black-on-black violence too and note acts of violence perpetrated against and by African Americans. Ooh, you know, that's talking about that whole truth thing, which if we're on the left, we don't do. You've got your truth, we've got ours, and your truth doesn't matter. Ours is the only one that does. Why? Because we're woke. The Florida Education Association, which is the largest teachers union in the state, said the new standards are unacceptable. Quote, these standards are a disservice to Florida students and are a big step backward for a state that has required teaching African-American history since 1994. The NAACP called the curriculum sanitized and dishonest. Derek Johnson, president and CEO, said, Today's actions by the Florida state government are an attempt to bring our country back to a 19th century America where black life was not valued, nor our rights protected. It is imperative that we understand that the horrors of slavery and Jim Crow were a violation of human rights and represent the darkest period in American history. We refuse to go back. And it just goes on and on and on. Let let, let me just pontificate for a second. Let me tell you what all this means to me. It means that people like the NAACP, people like Kamala Harris, People like Democrats that are lusting for more and more power over people in the United States. And I'm going to say something controversial. But Democrats in leadership in this nation, they feel like, and I'm basing this on the way they operate, they do this. They feel like they control the African-American community from top to bottom and that African-American people have no rights to make their decisions based on what they think is best. African-Americans must rely on the political left that's in power, whoever it is at the time, and what they say. Don't base it upon what you're sensing and experiencing in your own life. Don't look for a way to live a better life than did your parents and their parents. Don't do that. You're obligated to us. You give us your power, your authority, and a few dollars when you have it. And we're going to come up with whatever's best for you, and we know better than you what the best for you is. And then we have a sitting vice president that just goes on a stage and screams and hollers and lies, that's okay. Is that okay with most African-American people? Honestly, I can't answer my own question, but I do know there are a lot of real heavyweight, powerful people in the African-American community that are looking for every tool they can get their hands on to take control of other African-Americans. Wow. That's really sad. That really bothers me. I mentioned Mitt Romney a little bit ago, asking about what he is and his feelings are about what's happening with 
the southern border illegal immigrants taking jobs of Americans. Let me tell you what he's doing politically right now, and this is nauseating to me. He is on the phone now asking Republican donors, big money people, to pressure low-polling Republican candidates, pressing them to drop out of the 2024 race. And you know why Romney wants that to happen? He wants to defeat Donald Trump. He's called upon the Republican donor class to start pressuring low-polling Republican candidates into dropping out of the race. He issued his call in a Wall Street Journal opinion editor published two days ago. He said that the donor class needs to pressure candidates who have no path to drop out by February of next year at the very latest. Now, here's his reasoning. Quote, Despite Donald Trump's apparent inevitability, a baker's dozen Republicans are hoping to become the party's 2024 nominee for president. That is possible for any of them if the field narrows to a two-person race before Mr. Trump has the nomination sewn up. For that to happen, Romney said, and he knows everything about Republican Party and all that kind of stuff, Oh, he's worked in really desperate places and done a lot of great things in his life, the biggest of which was took a huge inheritance from his father, George Romney. He said for that to happen, Republican mega-donors and influencers, large and small, are going to have to do something they didn't do in 2016, get candidates that they support to agree to withdraw if and when their paths to the nomination are effectively closed. Romney said that such candidates will not drop out on their own due to the financial incentives as well as the increased exposure. He would know he's been a candidate before. There are incentives, he said, for no-hope candidates to overstay their prospects. Coming in behind first place may grease another run in four years or have market value of its own, like Mike Huckabee and Rick Santorum got big-paying gigs. And as... A former New Hampshire Governor John Sununu has observed, it is fun running for president if you know you can't win. This is Sununu talking. He said, left to their own inclinations, expect several of the contenders to stay in the race for a long time. They will split the non-Trump vote, giving him the prize. A plurality is all that is needed for winner-take-all primaries. Senator Romney further cautioned donors against thinking in GOP leaders or campaign staff or campaign consultants. Don't believe in them. Donors may think that party leaders can narrow the field. It's not so. Candidates don't listen to party officials because voters don't listen to them either. And the last people who would ever encourage a candidate to withdraw are the campaign staff and the consultants who want to keep their jobs as long as possible. And I'm not going to go into the latest polls. I just wanted to bring this to you because this is Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney, who had a golden opportunity to become president in that 2012 race. You remember that? He and his vice presidential candidate, Paul Ryan, who was from Wisconsin, and for the first two years of the Trump presidency was Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, who was feckless and did nothing 
and hated Donald Trump then, and he still hates him today. And Paul Ryan is on the board of directors of Fox News. This is Paul Ryan who said if now he's a Republican, a leader, former leader in the House, Speaker of the House, just years ago. And he said this, if Donald Trump wins the nomination, the Republican nomination, he's not going to the convention. Oh, my God. That would be horrible for Paul Ryan not to show up at the convention. Oh, that would shake the world. Meanwhile, there are tens of millions of Americans who are out there right now. Mr. Romney, Mr. Multi-Billionaire. There are people across this nation that are fighting for their next meal for their babies because of rampant inflation and because the inflation is being fueled in large part by the flood of illegal immigrants that are coming across the southern border that you, Mr. Romney, and your fellow senators won't stop the president from letting it happen. You don't even do anything about it. But it's no big deal to you. You got a big fat bank account. These people that are suffering out there, they don't, and they elected you to go to Washington and represent them and to take care of the people of the United States first. And you've watched, you've watched Joe Biden open the gate and weigh five million illegals into the nation. Forget about federal laws. You looked on, Mr. Romney, two impeachments of Donald Trump, and you wouldn't come to his support. And most Americans remember, maybe they don't, but I'm going to remind them right now. You know when Donald Trump is elected, what happens then? In between Election Day and the day they're inaugurated president in January the following year, they've got to come up with their staff, who's going to work with them in the secretaries, in his board, who's going to do all that. Mr. Romney was seen regularly going to Donald Trump and begging to be named the Secretary of State. And Trump turned him down. And so ever since then, what has Romney done? He spews venom when anybody even mentions the name Donald Trump. I thought you were representing the people of Utah, not yourself. Well, I guess we're seeing what you're really made of. Good news coming out of um, one labor union yesterday. The labor union giant in eternal brotherhood of Teamsters reached a tentative deal in negotiations with UPS. And if this deal goes like it is believed to go, that will avoid a costly strike of 340,000 delivery drivers. I can't imagine what would happen to the shipping system in America if that many people got out of those trucks and weren't driving every day. The Teamsters, a union that traditionally covers drivers and boasts 1.2 million members, they reached this deal with UPS in very heated negotiations. They've been ongoing since August of last year, narrowly beating the expiration of the current contract on the last day of this month. The tentative deal boasts higher wages, more jobs, equal pay, air conditioning for drivers, 
and Martin Luther King Jr. day off. We demanded the best contract in the history of UPS, and we got it. That's Teamsters General President Sean O'Brien. UPS has put $30 billion in new money on the table as a direct result of these negotiations. We've changed the game, battling it out day and night to make sure our members want an agreement that pays strong wages, rewards their labor, and doesn't require a single concession. This contract sets a new standard in the labor movement and raises the bar for all workers. So what's in the deal? An immediate two bucks, $2.75 an hour pay increase for full and part-time workers, an eventual $7.50 increase over the term of the five-year contract. That's according to the press release. In-cab air conditioning on all larger vehicles, sprinter vans and package cars will be required for vehicles purchased after January 1st of next year, and all cars will get two fans and air induction vents for cargo compartments. I don't know about you, that just sounds commonsensical to me. We're in our last 12 minutes of the show, and I want to circle back and talk about just for a moment. We're still watching, by the way. Let me look now. I've been watching it live the whole show. I'm looking at the front of the Delaware Federal Courthouse, and I'm going to make you puke a little bit. You're going to throw up in your mouth at least a little bit when I tell you what's going on. There are one, two, three, four, five, six. There are six men, black suits, black ties, all have sunglasses on, and they're standing out in front of the courthouse. Guess who they are? They're Secret Service agents. Now, the president's not there. The vice president's not there. Who's at the courthouse right now? Hunter Biden. So you and I are paying for private security. Well, actually, it's public security for the president's son in Delaware who's in there trying to get the judge to let him off on that plea deal that he worked out. But let's circle on back to, this is still about the Biden folks. Larry Kudlow. Kudlow's a straight shooter. He's a guy that tells you how he feels. And he weighed in on what's ahead, what's going on in the Biden folks. And I'll just sum it up by telling you they're headed for some deep trouble. Hello, folks, and welcome to Kudlow. I'm Larry Kudlow. All right. Despite being the target of the Department of Justice January 6th probe run by Jack Smith, which could mark Donald Trump's third indictment by Joe Biden's henchmen, a new survey, brand new survey of Iowa Republicans by Fox Business, the first in the nation primary contest, which is less than six months away. It shows that Mr. Trump has a commanding 30 point lead. Governor DeSantis and Senator Tim Scott are distant second-tier contestants. The Fox Business poll reports that economic issues are the top concerns of Iowa Republicans with 41%. With uh, immigration follows at 15, social issues also at 15, foreign policy at 12. And noteworthy, the Fox Business poll taken in South Carolina, also between the dates of July 15th and 19th, that shows... 51% for economic issues, followed by 12% each for foreign policy, immigration, and social concerns. Now, 
For months and months, as you know, I have argued that continued inflation, especially for key household needs, along with falling real wages, will make pocketbook and kitchen table issues central to the outcome of the 2024 presidential race. In other words, yes, it's the economy, stupid. And I also believe a key reason for former President Trump's commanding lead is his continued emphasis on an economic and prosperity agenda. Time and again, including the CNN town hall debate and his brilliant Bedminster speech, Mr. Trump has stayed on message touting the economic successes of his first term and promising more of the same in the second. Just recently, Mr. Trump posted a self-definition of Trumpism. Now, take a listen to this. Very interesting. Trumpism, or as some people call it, America first, is very, very simple. Low taxes and regulations. The most powerful military. Tariffs and taxes on other countries who have taken advantage of the United States and which will make the USA rich and debt-free again in very quick order. And if countries want to take from the U.S., they must pay for the privilege of taking. Protection of our, of our under siege Second Amendment, great health care, low energy prices through energy independence and even dominance. And then he goes on, parental power on school boards, life, strong borders, and so much more. Okay, that's Mr. Trump's self-defined Trumpism. Interesting. Now, I think most of the other Republican candidates probably agree with Mr. Trump on most of these issues. They are conservative, and they are smart, and they are good folks. The GOP has a deep bench. But remember, Mr. Trump has the experience and the track record from his first term. And also, he has crafted this kind of strong message with particular emphasis on the economic growth agenda. That's in ways that none of the other candidates have been able to pull a message together like that. And then, of course, there's the issue of Joe Biden's legal attacks, the weaponization of the Justice Department, the politicization of the FBI, and growing proof of a double standard aimed squarely at Trump. <clears throat> it seems like the higher Trump's polls, the longer Joe Biden wants to throw him in jail in order to stop the former president from running against the incumbent. Not only is this completely outrageous, but the Biden strategy is failing. But thanks to the Republican House, more and more evidence is mounting that it is Mr. Biden who is headed for deep legal trouble. Mr. Biden is headed for deep, deep legal trouble. Still, still, there are millions of people out there that call themselves Democrats who will not even stand up and talk to anybody and give factual reasoning for why Joe Biden and Hunter Biden are going to get off or should get off from all of these charges inevitably piling up in a big pile. It's amazing. Corruption is rampant. Now, Joe Biden didn't invent corruption. Neither did Hunter Biden. Neither did Jim Biden, President Biden's brother. He's involved in this too, all of them up to the wazoo. They didn't invent corruption. 
But as long as there have been governments that have and they rule over people, there's always been corruption. Power corrupts politicians. No one can credibly say otherwise. And we're watching that play out today in Delaware. No answer yet to the charges that Hunter Biden's in this courthouse dealing with the judge right now. But we're watching it. And we're going to keep it and watch for it. So stay tuned to truthnewsnet.org later in the day when they get this resolved. We're going to have that for you and we'll publish it on the show. Have a great day, folks. We'll see you in the morning.
Yeah, yeah.